Okay, so this is fill-in. Okay, we're doing fill-in work today. I've got some uh, index cards. If you would, for every Bible, take a couple and put them in your Bible. And you're going to put them near Revelation, okay? Because that's what we're going to be studying. Do you, does anybody have any questions about Revelation? Write them on the index cards, okay? This is as much for you as it is for me. Let me have a couple. Let me have some for these late Larson. <laughs> wouldn't, we wouldn't embarrass you for anything. Stick these near your near the Book of Revelation. And when you have questions about it, as you're reading these next few weeks, you're just going to jot down uh, harlot, question mark, who is that? If it's something that you don't know, you're going to write it down and we're going to learn together as we go through Revelation. Okay? This will be valuable to you for two reasons. One is, uh, if you've ever sat in a class where you know, somebody has spoon-fed you and told you everything and you understood it well and yeah, you went on, you know, took your test, made an A, and went on. But you didn't really learn it. You know, you didn't really learn it for yourself. You didn't experience that for yourself. So what we're going to do is we're going to study Revelation together. So it's not going to be maybe as laid back as we would normally do where uh, we just kind of feed you information. Instead, you're going to dive in and get the information yourself, and you're going to take notes on your index card about who these people are because Revelation is a book of symbology and, and signs and and that's just how, how it's, the, the book is written. So it's confusing until you begin to understand it. And then once you understand it, it's just like any other book of the Bible. So I'm hoping that this will be uh, uh, profitable to, to everyone. So, so why study Revelation to begin with? It's too hard. It's too confusing. Right? We can't understand this book of Revelation. It's, just, it's got too much stuff in it. Well, 2 Timothy... What am I going to tell you? How much, wait a minute, how much scripture? All. all scripture is inspired by God, right? So why do we study Revelation? Because all scripture is inspired by God. It's beneficial for what? Teaching, rebuke, correction, training in righteousness. The man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished in all good work, right? So we want to be fully equipped for every good work. And if we don't study Revelation, we're not going to be fully equipped for every good work. And I was also reminded of, I should have brought a copy. I was also reminded of Larry Ball's book. Do you remember that little small book he wrote? What was the title of it? Blessed is he who reads. Blessed is he who reads. Larry didn't just come up with that out of his head. Okay, that's, that's in Revelation. It tells you, um, blessed, we're promised that blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep the things which are written in it for the time is near. That's Revelation 1. Verse 3, blessed is he who reads. So hopefully, now Ryan has not finished up Ecclesiastes yet, so we've still got a few weeks, so you want to get ahead and read in Revelation while you can. Okay, so you want to stay ahead of what's going on so you'll have good intelligent questions to write down. Not to ask me. These are good intelligent questions that you're going to ask yourself as we cover the material. Then you're going to write down the answers that you discovered, that you found, in God's word, and it's going to be yours, okay? So, so it'll be a little bit different. So, so today we're going to do an introductory to Revelation and, and look at the background, and also some the interpretive methods that are used today uh, concerning Revelation. Now, 
Over half the phrases that are used in Revelation are also used in the Old Testament. And so we're going to have to use the Old Testament to understand Revelation. We're going to have to use the Old Testament to understand the New Testament. Out of the 404 total verses in Revelation, 278 of them contain either allusions to or direct references to the Old Testament. So, for, in case you don't know this, I'm not an Old Testament scholar. I'm not a scholar, period. But for those of you who are familiar with the Old Testament, this should be a walk in the park, right? Okay? Anybody want to raise your hand, Old Testament scholar that can be available to answer questions? Anthony, is that you? Did you raise your hand? Okay. <laughs> so an, another feature of Revelation is that it's primarily communi communicated to us in, through signs and, and symbols. Okay, signs and symbols, and so it must be interpreted that way. You know, when we talk about, do you, do you believe that the, the Bible is literally true? Of course it's literally true. It's true, in, 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 well, you don't believe it literally, do you? I believe it literally in the form in which it was literally written. So if it's a poem, I understand it to be a poem. If it's a, uh, a parable, we, we understand it in those literary terms. Revelation is written in signs, symbols, that type. So that's how we're going to interpret Revelation. You know, if you interpret, some people say, well, we interpret the Bible literally. So do you think God has feathers? Because it mentions, you know, that he covers his children, you know, like under his wings. Do you think God has feathers? So you don't interpret the Bible literally either, right? You interpret it in the literary form in which it is written. That's what we're going to do with Revelation. Okay, so the, and the word show here in, in verse 1 in, in uh, Revelation, it's not an uncommon Greek word. Let's read verse 1. Does somebody have a New American Standard that'll volunteer to read verse 1, Revelation 1-1? One, one? Go ahead, Steve. Okay, so if you'll notice it used the word show. Okay, it used the word show, and that's not an uncommon Greek word. And, and actually, it's, if you look at the New Testament, it's translated as some form of the word show every time it's used in the New Testament. So this revelation that John gave unto him to show unto his servant, John. So that word show. And also consider that word which the, uh, I think it says communicated or signified in the King James. And basically that's always translated as some form of signifier, and that means to basically to indicate by means of a sign or a symbol. Okay, a sign or a symbol. So Revelation is given to us, well it was given to John originally, to show him, to show him by signs and symbols of things which are shortly going to come to pass. Okay, so that's, that's your first key that's your first key interpretive uh, clue up there. Now, Greg Bonson, I don't know if everybody's familiar with Greg Bonson, but he was basically, he was, he was a very intelligent scholar of uh, pretty much everything he, he touched. But let me give you a note about his hermeneutics that he used in understanding the book of Revelation. He said, Revelation is a prophecy communicated in signs or symbols. Nevertheless, this symbolic literature 
is a blessed uncovering of the naked truth. So in short, Revelation is an unveiling by means of symbols. And that opening verse is a very integral part of properly understanding Revelation as God would have us to do. Now some have said that John actually communicated with these symbols so that the information would be hidden from the people in power at that time, but yet it would be easily understood by those persecuted Christians that the book of Revelation was written to. Because they would have been familiar with these Old Testament signs and symbols and, and phrases, unlike us today where we're not as familiar with those Old Testament signs and symbols and, and phrases. And I, I do want to read to you a lengthy quote at the, uh, against the advice of my wife. She said it's too long to read, but I, I really want to read it to you because Greg Bonson is a little bit uh, more uh, well-versed in the English language than myself. So hermeneutics in the book of Revelation. Revelation is a highly symbolic book, but it is a book of interpreted symbols. The entire book is interspersed with hermeneutical signposts. Hermeneutical, how you understand, how you interpret scripture. The seven stars and the seven lampstands are explained as seven angels and seven churches. Revelation 1.20. The seven lamps of fire are the seven spirits of God. The bowls of incense are said to represent the prayers of the saints. The great multitude that it mentions in Revelation is interpreted by the angel as the saints triumphant through the tribulation. The king of the mutant locusts is the angel of the abyss. The great dragon is said to be Satan. You know, the, the good thing about Revelation is a lot of it's explained in the book. Okay, so we have the greatest interpreter of Scripture, Scripture, interpreting Scripture for us. The number of the beasts is explained as the number of a man. The seven heads of the beast have a double reference. First in the seven hills, and then to seven rulers. The waters that are mentioned in Revelation symbolize many peoples and nations. The woman is interpreted as the great city ruling over the kings of the earth. The rider on the white horse is identified as the Logos or the king of kings. The fine linen of the saints is their justification. We could probably get that one, couldn't we? On our own, maybe. <laughs> the reign of saints with Christ is the first resurrection. The lake of fire represents the second death. <clears throat> the Lamb's bride is said to be heavenly Jerusalem. Over and over again, from beginning to end, the book of Revelation offers these interpretive insights, which are necessary so that we can have the good and proper sense of what God intends to communicate by way of the figurative language that is found in the book. <clears throat> and within the pages of Revelation itself, we find fundamental hermeneutical principles at work, namely God's Word interpreting God's Word. God gives this vision that's transcribed by John, and then God provides the interpretive nails on which we hang those truths. Word is followed by the interpreting word in the Revelation through John. And just as surely as the eyewitness experience of Christ was followed by the apostolic interpretation of the apostles in his person and work, like the Gospels, the Epistles. So, 
The good thing is God has interpreted the word which he's given. Okay? Now, you're familiar with Martin Luther, of course. Well, what did Luther think about uh, Revelation? He said, everything thinks of the book, whatever his spirit imparts. And the book of Revelation, or the Holy Spirit who truly instructs us comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Basically, Luther said you can believe about it what you want. No, that's not the way it works. So we're going to look at Scripture and let it interpret the Scripture. And we're going to find out what God has to say to us. And then uh, B-O-E-R, he was another uh, contemporary. He says, sometimes the reader must supply the meaning himself. What? No, that's not going to happen. We're not going to do that. Okay, that's eisegesis, right? Right, Luke? Into Scripture, we want to do exegesis out of Scripture. We want to take what's in Scripture and bring it out that we can see it, not impart our views into Scripture, eisegesis, okay? So we're not going to do that. God supplies us the interpretive means by which we can understand it. So it says, what are we then to make of the aspects of Revelation's visions which are not given a direct, explicit, and clearly labeled interpretation of the book itself? Because sometimes it does give it to us straightforwardly. This is the mystery of the seven stars, the seven stars and the angels of the seven churches. That's pretty clear when it interprets the words themselves. That's really handy. That's probably just going to be one of those things you jot down on your index card. So, the Christians to whom this book was originally addressed, they probably would not have experienced great difficulty in interpreting and appreciating the message that was attended by it because they were steeped in that imagery and literature of the Old Testament. <coughs> so, let me skip down a little bit here. Um, so, the re revelation is highly symbolic, but there's hardly a symbol in the book that's used that's not explained in some other part of Scripture. And it's going to be up to us not me, it's going to be up to us to find those other parts of Scripture so that we can then apply that to Revelation, okay? And like I mentioned earlier, there's some 300 different allusions from, from the parts of Scripture. So if we're to understand properly Revelation, we have to be able to understand those figures and the signs that are included in it. And although many of them are explained in the book of Revelation itself, many are also found throughout the Old Testament. So uh, as I mentioned, I'm not a specialty... My specialty is not the Old Testament. I don't have a specialty, especially, but I'll do my due diligence, and I kind of expect you to also, so that this study can be your own, so that you can learn this for yourself, and then you'll have it in in your back pocket. So, uh, so we're going to learn about these signs and symbols, and we're going to um, so we can properly understand them. So that's why I encourage you take a few index cards, place them in your Bible, put it at the front of Revelation there. And as you're reading through your Bible, particularly Revelation, maybe as homework for the next couple of weeks, you can read through there and mention something that you don't understand. Just jot down what it is on the index card. Put it back in there. Keep reading. Oh, there's the answer. Go back to the index card. Put the answer equals this. You know, whatever it is, the angels or the the, the, the church, whatever the the issue was. So don't just skip over everything, but write down what's you need to learn. So don't just skip over it. So we're going to have to do that work. Now, I, I hope it will cover, that, cover the entire book in the next uh, coming months, so we need, to, we need to work on that. Now, we may end up with a few things that we still don't fully understand. So if you have questions at the end of the study and you don't understand two or three things, and well, chances are you laid out a church, right? 
Or maybe I didn't understand it. Or maybe we both just skipped over it because it was too hard. We're not going to do that. Okay, we're going to try and do our best to understand everything that, that God has for us. So, uh, so for those of you who have been at Bridwell Heights for greater than 10 years, you may remember that Larry Ball covered the book of Revelation in the uh, morning worship service, right? As a bunch of sermons, I think it was a year's worth, pretty much. Hopefully we're not going to do that. This is Sunday school. We're going to do this a little bit different. So to my great chagrin, you're going to be able to ask questions, okay? Larry had the, you know, the privilege of being up at the pulpit, and so you didn't want to raise your hand during church and ask what something meant. So, you know, I'm kind of putting myself on the chopping block here. So, and I'm much appreciative of, of Larry's series, and I, I don't want you to think that I can do it better or that he got something wrong, but covering the Revelation in Sunday school will be a little bit different. So, in preparation for this study to give you, to help you understand where I'm coming from, I've, I've listened to a variety of Bible teachers over the, actually over the past year or so, and Lori has graciously done that as well because we usually listen to it at night in the bed so she gets to listen to it as well uh see if you recognize any of these names joe moorcraft i went okay went back and listened to larry ball sermons again uh greg bonson ken gentry okay these are just some of the, the people i've heard rc Sproul. Uh, these are well-known uh, scholars and i've also been studying through several books and commentaries uh, i think i've got six on my desk right now that that are open and one that actually does a comparative view of the four main different interpretations of Revelation. And we're going to talk about that briefly. So I studied the reasons and the rationale for the dating of, revolution, of Revelation as well. That's, that's kind of important because when, Revel, when Revelation was written, it means that, well, was it a prophecy? I mean, it says, uh, must shortly come to pass, and he sent and signified it by bare record of the words. And Verse 3, hear the words of this prophecy. So it was a foretelling. So when it was written, helps us to understand what was he writing about. If it was written at a later date, then all this previous stuff was not a prophecy, was it? But if it was written here, then all this becomes a prophecy, and that becomes really important here uh, as we'll look at. <coughs> so, so as a courtesy just to me, just to be nice and not make me look too bad in front of everybody. If you have questions, write them down that we don't cover through the material. And I will do my due diligence the following week and we'll answer those questions. Okay? I don't have revelation in my back pocket. Now, hopefully we'll all have revelation in our back pockets after this study. Okay? But as of right now, let's just let's begin to look at revelation and, uh, and understand it together. So, Let's begin first with interpretive views that are used to understand Revelation. So there's four main interpretations that people use to understand the book of Revelation. The first is the preterist view. The preterist view, that word means past. So the preterist view understands the book as referring to events that have, for the most part, already been fulfilled in history. Preterist view. There's also the historist view, which understands the events as unfolding throughout the course of history. And although it was once widespread, it's kind of went by the wayside now because the continued, the failed attempts to assign certain events in Revelation to actual historic events that have occurred in time. You know, it's like, kind of like the newspaper exegesis where we take the newspaper and we understand Revelation by the newspaper. Wars and rumors of wars. Oh, it must be, that must be Israel, right? So, so the, the, that view is pretty much went by the wayside. There's also the uh, 
futurist view. The futurist view looks at everything as being in the future. Okay. So that it says that the events are largely unfulfilled. It will, from chapters 4 to the end, await the end time for their fulfillment. And that view is actually broken up into two different subsets, uh, classic dispensationalism as well as progressive dispensationalism, and we'll talk about those a little bit more. So the futurist classical dispensationalism and the future progressive dispensationalism. You don't need to remember these terms, but it's, it's handy to know. Then there's the idealists. The idealists will see Revelation as basically just setting forth timeless truths that apply through the church, no matter what age the church is in. That these truths are not really anything to do with real things that may or may not have happened, but it's just talking about the battle between good and evil, and, and it continues throughout the church age. That's the idealist. The, sometimes that's called the spiritualist view. Okay? So, now the historist view, like I mentioned, is no longer uh, very common, so uh, we're, we're going to skip over that. We're not going to talk much about that. And I'm going to save the, the preterist view uh, to the last. So, let's first at the futurist view of. Revelation. And we're going to break that down into those two separate categories, as I mentioned, the classical dispensationalist and the future, the progressive dispensationalist. Okay? So classical, let's talk about that first. So it developed fairly recently in the, in the 1900s. It's one of the most popular interpretations today. Divides history into approximately seven different dispensations or workings of God. And as I mentioned, it is a form of the futurist interpretation. And one of the most, most well-known tools used to popularize this view is the Left Behind series. Okay? Authors Jerry Jenkins and Tim LaHaye. C.I. Schofield. Anybody ever have a Schofield reference Bible? Yes. Okay, Chris, shame on you. He contributed to that view also with his immensely popular study Bible. As a side note, one of the churches we used to go to, turn in your Schofield reference Bible to page 700. Anyway, water under the bridge. Thank you, Lord. So the views of dispensationalists are primarily premillennialist. Premillennialist. Basically, God's going to come back before, pre, before that thousand-year reign, his, before he sets up that kingdom for that literal thousand-year reign on earth. Pre-millennial. Okay. They say that this reign will only happen after the rapture of the church, so they don't have to endure the great tribulation as described in Revelation. Now, Roger's opinion. This view is what I would consider very pessimistic of today's, uh, the time left on earth. They would say that you know, the world's only going to get worse and worse until finally at some point the Lord raptures his church and we get out of here. So there's no sense in, you know, working for good. There's no sense in trying to redeem the time. There's no sense in, you know, salt, being salt and light because really it's, you know, it's going to get worse and worse until the Lord takes us away, okay? So I consider that to be somewhat pessimistic. But although that view is very common in our country today, and, and I would say that most Americans subscribe to some form of this interpretive system, even if they're not Christians, even if they're not Christians, People still, they know about the rapture that's going to happen. You can ask them. I mean, they may not know much, but they know about the rapture, and they know about, oh, things are getting worse and worse, and 666, right? Because they've been ingrained in this for in, in society at large. So that's classical dispensation. 
progressive dispensational viewpoint that came about mainly during the 80s views Revelation as having some events past and some events that are yet to come. Some would say that Christ's reign began with the resurrection of Christ, but yet it's really not happened in fullness yet. It's, you've heard the term already, but not yet. That's a phrase that some people use. So they'll say that you know, it's already happening. God is reigning, but not yet in his fullness, which is why the world is so evil today. You know, God is reigning. The cross, he defeated death, hell, and the grave. But listen, now he's not, he's really not on his throne yet. He's really not ruling in, in, in society. There are also premillennialists uh, about the view of the end of the times, waiting on the rapture of the saints. And, and that's a futurist interpretation. And the biggest difference I see between those two is the progressive scenes sees Christ's reign beginning at the, at, after his resurrection, but not yet fully. They would not necessarily see that that time in history was, was completely separate like the classical dispensationalists would. Okay, so the progressive dispensationalist kind of muddies those dispensations together and, and sees maybe you know, intermixing. Okay. So if that seems a little bit confusing to you, you know, welcome to the crowd. Okay. Just remember it's a dispensationalist view of, of Revelation. Now the idealist viewpoint has its roots all the way back to the first and second centuries to the Alexandrian church fathers and sometimes called the spiritualist view because it interprets revelation spiritually or symbolically. And in this interpretation, revelation is seen as representing the ongoing conflict of good and evil without any real historical connection to anything that happened in time and place. No specific social or political events are tied to revelation. And Revelation is viewed as applying to every church age and situation, but without representing any particular point in time. Okay, so it's just, I see this, this applies to me. Okay, so that's the spiritualist view, the idealist view. And so in other words, the events and churches mentioned in Revelation here are just hypothetical. They didn't necessarily occur in John's day, but are there to give instruction to all believers just in case that you find yourself in one of these situations. Okay? That's that idealist view. So they kind of go, they kind of skip over the direct recipients of the letter that was given to John. They kind of skip over that part and go directly to the application. Okay? And then the preterist viewpoint. The preterist viewpoint, past viewpoint, traces its roots back to the mid 1600s, attributes revelation to its original author in its first century audience. Uh, Ken Gentry, who's one of the most prominent promoters of preterism along with, with Greg Bonson, say that Revelation was written by John, primarily the first century church, to comfort them in the tribulation that they were experiencing under the reign of Nero, which was 64 to 68 AD, and was to prepare them for the reorientation from the old covenant to the new covenant worship. From the old covenant and to the new covenant worship of God. And the main distinctive of the preterist view is that the vast majority of the events foretold in Revelation were fulfilled in the first century. Okay. So, and as we go through certain passages in Revelation, I'm going to reference some of these different views and, and why or why not, I don't think they're correct in their individual interpretive views. I've actually got two books that are used specifically to compare the four views of Revelation. Okay. Now, I kind of know what I believe, and you need to know what you believe. But I want you to believe it because you believe it, not because Roger said, or Patrick said, 
or even Larry Balls said. I want you to believe it because this is what makes sense in Scripture. This is what Scripture teaches. Okay? So I'm not cheating, but I am going to make you do the work. Okay? So, and I, I mentioned this once before. I, I did start off my Christian journey in that futurist dispensationalist camp some 35 or so years ago. I read all the Left Behind series, you know, the movies. I've, I've seen all that. Um, I've memorized the charts. I've memorized the charts about the rapture and, and what's happening there. I, I mean, I can tell you a lot of that stuff still. But now I do fall in that preterist interpretive viewpoint. And that's going to become incre increasingly clear as we progress through the book. So is there any questions so far? Yes, Deborah. Yes. So, uh, so, so let me let me say something, and you can ask me again. So, how many? There's one main covenant, right? The covenant that that God has with His children, right? Yeah. Yes, so, now what's your question? Whereas a dispensational view would say there's been many different dispensations of yeah. God working through time, and you have the, Mo, you know, the, the dispensation where Moses, you have the dispensation, you know, now we're in the church age. You know, we have the dispensation of the Jews where the church is actually going to, you know, that, that's done now. That dispensation is done. So now we're up to, to the church age. So... Okay, I think, I think I understand. So I think what we're going to see as we study through Revelation is that you're going to see the progressive uh, uh, fulfillment of that covenant. You're going to see the defeat that was foretold uh, years and years ago in, in the Old Testament. You're going to see that covenant being fulfilled at the, the cross when Christ did begin to reign. So I think you're going to see that kind of go into to place if I understand your question correctly but yes it does so let's talk about the dating of Revelation Chris full preterist and partial That is correct. I didn't want to bring too much into it at first, but so. Did everybody get that? So there, there are some parts that are still yet unfulfilled. We'll, we'll cover those when we get time, but it's going to be near the, near the end. So. In each dispensation, yes. 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 
the dispensation will say, yes, there's, there's these particular, God gave Adam and Eve a chance and they blew it. Scrap that. Okay, so now let's start with this next. How, how's God going to work with man in this next dispensation? So that's kind of, it's, especially the classic dispensation is really uh, segmented. So the progressive kind of begins to meld into these end, end dispensations and starts allowing for more, uh, closer to the truth, I would say, but Any other questions? Yes. Yes. And that's kind of an eye opener. It's kind of an eye opener. And people's lives, you know, when you begin to think that, you know, because you're taught, I was taught that as well, that, you know, you, you keep the law and it's basically a, a, it's a legalistic system. It's the Pharisees and, and, you know, you're trying to keep that law. And guess what? You can't. So what do you do? You live with guilt. You don't go to the movies. You don't play cards. Uh, you don't dance or date women that do. Remember that one? So <laughs> it, it begins to be a point of just do's and don'ts, which is, which guess what? That's what they had. Yeah, it's all, it's, and so what's funny and, and what's a, a mind-blowing issue to some when they first understand it, you know, it's Abraham's seed, not seeds. Mm-hmm. In the New Testament, it mentions Abraham's seed, not seeds. And he's, it's, it's very clear. So, yeah, there's not New Testament saints and Old Testament saints, and when we get to heaven, we have to, you know, stay on our side of the fence. That's not going to happen. Okay. Now, Let's talk about the dating of Revelation, and then we'll, we'll, we'll stop here. But there's really only two generally accepted views for the dating um, of, of Revelation. It's either during the reign of Domitian, which is around uh, 96 A.D., or it was during the reign of Nero, which, was, uh, which he reigned from 54 to 68. That was before the destruction of Jerusalem which happened in 70 A.D. And we're going to learn that's kind of a, a crucial part in, in understanding Revelation. So without going into great detail, the, the main evidence for that later dating of Revolution comes, Revelation comes down primarily to evidence found in the testimony of uh, Irenaeus, which was 130 A.D. to 202 A.D. Now I'm cutting through a, a, this much reading that I've done, okay? So this is, this is really abbreviated, but... Irenaeus, frequently referred to as the external evidence since it's outside of Scripture, but that's their main point, the ones that date Revelation uh, later in the, uh, after, in the reign of Domitian uh, before 100 A.D. That's what they go by, is that was the external evidence. And the majority of the evidence for the earlier dating of Revolution, Revolution, Revelation, and that was before the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. That's mainly internal evidence found in the scriptures themselves. 
Now, I don't say that to say like, well, you got the outside, we've got the inside scoop, right? That's not it at all, okay? We just need to understand that, you know, if we do have evidence in Scripture, it's going to take priority over something that uh, David Ray wrote in the 20th century or something that Irenaeus wrote in 200 A.D. Okay, so both those earlier and those later dates, both of those featured times of harsh persecution for Christians. The reign of Domitian and also Nero, both times were very hard on Christians. And so there's valid points to those, okay? There's valid points, it's just which one is right. You know, but as we'll look through when we start reading, some of the things that are mentioned by John in the scriptures seem to indicate that the recipients of Revelation, they were still aware of these things at the time of the writing. You know, consider that John was writing letters to specific churches in Asia and made references to Rome and Jerusalem proper and even the temple. Like in chapter 11, you know, he tells John to go measure the temple. Even that number of a man, 666, well, it's not 666, it's 666, okay? He may even talk about that a little bit, which points to, to Caesar Nero. So all these things were still in existence when John penned Revelation, if he did, and that's why I would push for the earlier date of Revelation before 70 A.D. when these things were destroyed. So... Amanda, do you want to go through and explain to us why 666 is the mark of the beast and, uh, and all these things? And, okay, quick story. Worked with a guy. Parts came in for sale, and we had to purchase them. The price on the part was $666. And he's... he's <laughs> and the guy's name was Chris. He's a good Christian man. He said, what do they do this for? They should know that this is not good to do because that's going to make people not want to buy it. And I'm thinking, you know, bless his heart <laughs> that, that he's, he has that part. I, I felt bad for him, but, you know, just, just as in, in a lot of Christian doctrines, until, you're, until the Lord prepares you to, to hear the truth about something, you're not going to hear it. You know, I remember fighting with my mom about election for a long time. So. Uh, It well, <laughs> maybe that kept a lot of uh, callers away. I don't know. <laughs> you mean, you mean Ronald Wilson Reagan? The, but I mean Ronald Wilson Reagan. You remember that? So, yeah. So that anyway. So as we go through this book. I, we're going to get into that. But as, as we go through the book and look at each of these individual passages, I think we're going to find out that John was truly writing about times that immediately preceded and foretold the destruction and the judgment of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. But that's a decision I want you to make as we go through the scriptures, as you see the evidence presented yourself. So, and so in preparation for our study, which is going to be after Ryan finishes up Ecclesiastes, and so the next month or two, read through Revelation. Read through Revelation. Take your index cards. You got I bought you index cards. Come on, there's no excuse, right? Make some make some notes on there. Remember, just put a question marker after something you don't know and go to the next line because that's where you're going to write your answer afterwards. So, um, and 
by the time we get done with Revelation, actually by the time we probably get started good, you'll have an answer to most of your questions. So that's a good thing. So for those of you who are here for Larry's sermons and stuff, this is going to be a lot of review. But uh, for those of you who were not here, it's going to be an eye-opener experience. Yeah, Larry has a he he has a little he calls it a little primer on Revelation. It's uh, maybe a hundred pages, and he just covers the material very quickly. But blessed is he who reads. Does he get a royalty off that? Any questions before we before we break? It's uh, we're out of time. Craig. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this day that you've given us. Thank you for this uh, Sabbath day that we may come and worship you in spirit and in truth. I pray that you would uh, uh, bless uh, Patrick as he opens your word to us uh, for worship, that you would uh, bless our time of uh, communion, that you would uh, reinforce the, the grace and the mercy that you had upon us. And uh, Lord, I do pray that you would uh, be with us as, as uh, we begin to study Revelation in the coming months, that you would give us a clear mind that you would uh, help us to be able to do the work that's necessary, that you yourself would open it up to us, that we might understand it fully, that we may be fully equipped uh, for every good work. And we ask all this.